Welcome to Sonic Talk number 353, streaming live today and recording Wednesday the 9th of April 2014. Um, it's a, a, excellent, just the perfect time for somebody to ring me up. <laughs> I'll just uh, switch that. I usually <laughs> hey, you could tell it's live, can't you? And that's the one I forgot, and it was hidden under a piece of paper, so I couldn't find it. Right, so uh, let's just say welcome, 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 everybody. Uh, another week in the Sonosphere, or whatever we want to call it. We've got a full, fulsome chat room. I want to welcome everybody there, uh, and also anybody who's coming through the new sort of window we've put onto the podcast when it streamed live. It now just the player becomes live on the front page of Sonic Talk, Sonic State. So, um, Please enjoy us. And uh, remember, if you're here and you like what you're seeing or you, you you think you might by the time you've had a chance to think about it, press a subscribe button somewhere. There should be one uh, down here or up here, depending on where you're watching it. And uh, we will uh, very much appreciate your subscription. Thank you very much. Right. Um, so I'm with no out further ado, I've got to go. Well, actually, I'll, I'll say hello to my first guests first and then we'll come back because we've got a, spe- a very special guest we haven't had for a long time on the show and it's great to have it back in the form of PJ Tracy. But first, I'm going to say hello to Gaz Williams, gazwilliams.me, music technologist, bass player and um, co-presenter of Sonic Touch. How are you doing, Gaz? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, yeah, excited to have PJ back on the show. It's been a long time. It has, yeah, we've missed him. We've missed him. So uh, anyway, we'll we'll move swiftly on. Uh, also, we've got Dave Spears, g4software.com in his, uh, as we've said, his treasure trove of of synthesizers there, wherever he is, in yep. deepest, darkest um, part of the country. Uh, what yeah. did I think? I, I think I, um, I likened you to the, the Ebenezer of... Uh, of synthesis <laughs> and that's not in the sort of scroogey way it was more in the kind of hoarding collecting way <laughs> well yeah but everything gets used so <laughs> and i've got the CSA. the csa is working again so oh i'm so I'm glad to hear that today. i'm so glad to hear it and you'll be pleased to see dave i've moved the uh, your your uh, lower third across so that we can see the chat room and your coordinates and you can split your face however you like it depending on how you prefer it <laughs> Anyway, thank you very much for joining us, Dave. Dave, of course, uh, G4 Software makers of fine software instruments. And number three, the less hair suit, Rich Hilton, than last week. Rich has had a trim, a trim for spring. How are you, Rich? I'm good, thank you. Great, Rich, of course, keyboard player for Chic and uh, Nile Rogers studio guy, one of the busiest guys, and as I've said, every time you see a festival poster for pretty much everywhere in the world, Chic are playing. So busy, busy, busy. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us, Rich. Always appreciated. Thank you. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, PJ Tracy. Long-time viewers of the podcast or listeners of the podcast will remember PJ. PJ's been uh, on the show, well, almost since the early days, in fact. Uh, probably you sort of ducked out just after we started doing video and where I, I think, you know, your, your workload just meant you couldn't join us so now you're here um pj tracy is actually uh, let me get this right fantastic pianist and also uh meets i guess media composer composer for uh tv uh, advertising movies games more recently in fact that's how we kind of hooked up again pj just got uh, um featured in time magazine where he very kindly gave us a name check there it is 
I'm going to show you where the name check is even. <laughs> it's even, yeah, look there. It's, on, it's even on paragraph two with a link, Sonic State Pro Audio Podcast. PJ, it's a pleasure to have you back. How the hell are you? Uh, Nick, I'm very well, and it's great to be here. Great to be here. It's been way too long. Um, oh, Oops. what just happened there? That, That's it. It's fallen out. Yeah. I, I think you're going to need a stand for your iPad. <laughs> I, think you, I think you're right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm currently resting it on my knee. Ah, so, okay. But I'll, I'll, move, I'll move my, uh, my digits so that it uh, does not obscure the, uh, the wonderful HD-ness. Of it this, is, uh, yeah. Well, since, since you've been gone, sounds like the opening of a song, doesn't it? Don't, don't, not like Rainbow, I believe. Um, we've gone all <laughs> HD and everybody's got their own Skype machines. I see you're ensconced in your own studio now, right? So well, last time we saw you, it was kind of still under construction. It's looking very much not under construction anymore. Yeah, we're still in a transformative period, but we've done quite a bit of uh, construction over the last year. Um, installed uh, this lovely diffuser above me. Let's see if I can. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Is that a real traps? Uh, it is not. It is hand built uh, <gasps> by my business partner's brother. Who oh, cool. To be kind of a, a bit of a construction genius. So he made that. I'm very handy refabric the wall underneath it and uh yeah it's it's added uh much to the room so i thoroughly enjoy working in this room now and have uh made it my own and uh it's a it's a joy excellent so um pj what have you been up to i mean we saw uh, there that you got featured in, i mean featured in time magazine okay the journalist who wrote it did confess to being a long-term friend of yours which always helps but hell that what's that bit what's that all about well, um, recently I attended GDC, um, which is outlined in that article, and I am a member of the Game Audio Network Guild on the apprentice level, which means that um, as of yet, although that may be um, imminently about to change, I've done no professional work within the video game industry, ah. but uh, I'm, an, I'm a member of their guild. Uh, they're... Emmy Awards essentially are held during GDC, the Game Developers Conference, every year in San Francisco. I went out there to make some relationships with people, and they honored me with the Apprentice Award, uh, which was basically a, a blind contest uh, where they presented a fictional brief. And I think about 200 of us submitted to that brief, and then 20 were nominated, and then the Guild members voted on those 20, and mine was picked as the winner. And, nice. Uh, they honored me with the award at the ceremony, and uh, I was thoroughly unprepared to get up and address that eminent uh, <laughs> crowd, but I, I hopefully didn't make too much of a fool of myself. I'm sure you did. There's apparently video on the way, so we'll see. Uh, have you got a touch uh, on? Uh, no, I was wearing a suit. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, so it was a, it was a fantastic, um, fantastic experience, and... As a result of that, my friend who writes for Time Magazine and who writes specifically for technology and video games um, had, n not to my knowledge, asked his editor if I won that award because he knew I was nominated for it, if he could write about GDC in the context of me winning that award. Excellent. Well, congratulations. Time Magazine, I don't think there really is an equivalent in the UK. I can't even think of one because it's such a sort of big national sort of thing because it's, it's a glossy. I can't think of what the equivalent would be um, UK-wise, but way to go. Thank um, you. So 
well, congratulations anyway. So um, let's just let's hop straight in with some topics then, shall we? Um, let me see. Now, um, what do we start with? Oh, I should also say, before I start, um, Isotope, which is, who are sponsoring the show, uh, are also going to be giving away a copy of RX this month. And what you've got to do is listen out for a magic phrase, which I will say later in the show and say what it is, and then you'll have to tweet it. I'll, there'll be instructions there, but I guess that's a really sneaky way of making sure you have to listen to all of the podcasts, otherwise you might miss it. But hey, it wasn't my idea. It was their marketing genius that came up with that. And I'd like to say, Kim... Have who's uh, in uh, NAB with uh, Isotope at the moment and then off on holiday. Uh, that seems like a good, fun idea. So uh, stay tuned. You can win a copy of RX3. Right. Um, that, the first thing really for this, uh, and I know this was a sort of late edition, um, was um, the news that uh, Windows 8.1 is starting to be embedded. In, uh, well, it, there are some prototypes being shown. And I've got a little bit of video from the uh, recent Microsoft Build Conference in San Francisco. I think it was last week. Uh, where there's, I think it's uh, Mr. Guggenheim. Is, yeah. And we've open sourced I'll play well you some. So other people can work on it. So we're going to continue to invest in this area and make sure for folks working in the embedded side... It's funny because this guy can't wait to start playing the NPC. That's the NPC you see there. And he starts playing it, and this guy gets really annoyed. So John, yeah, yeah, there we go. So a kind new mark. This is an example of sort of a very modern. <laughs> we could do this all day. Very a very front end side to the embedded space. These are musical uh, instruments. Shrillix uses these. Uh, Dr. Dre and so Dr. Dr. Shu as well takes advantage of these. Um, and this is the other end of the embedded space. And another area in terms of uh, working with developers, there's a lot of opportunity. This is not something you might generally think about as a Windows device. Yesterday, Terry had the piano, so keeping with the Windows theme. But there, there was there, not only that, that was a, a kind of a version of Akai's MPC. There was also a Newmark uh, DJ thing. But this is uh, a sneak peek. I, got, I actually, uh, we have an insider who gave us a little bit of extra information about this and he was telling me uh, what that essentially was essentially that's windows embedded industry it's like an embedded version for the embedded device 8.1 on a full embedded uh, core i5 pc in the box which is an intel nuc i don't know what nuc stands for someone else might know uh it's got you know so and that'll support touchscreen ethernet ports usb ports and it's going to be available at the end of this year software um that they showed on the stage is not the final version there obviously uh, and also the same with the NX7. But this kind of brings up, because uh, uh, I know Corey Banks, who's a sometimes guest on the show, was getting quite excited about this, because this brings up the concept of the possibility of all of these type devices like the MPC Renaissance and controllers actually having an embedded operating system and platform running on them. So there's essentially, they're not tethered to the computer, they are the computer. Rich, you're looking like you've got a sort of, you're holding your hands up with a sort of, some form of glee there. Or are uh, well, we already there? I don't know if it's this was this is a combination of inevitable and has been done before. Does anybody remember the Nico? Sure. Yeah. But that was a more um, general um, environment, wasn't it, rather than a specific one trick. But it was a host for a basic Windows operating system. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Was that the, it may have been Linux, but I think it was yeah. I think it was PC based. I think it was Windows based. Was that the um open labs thing? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. They're in Texas. I think yeah. the product was called Nico, and it looked like a keyboard with a big window, a bunch of faders on it, and you know, it. Uh, it's just. It's not that this isn't exciting on some level. It's just that it's all very much just what you would expect. Well, in other I words, it's. And the funny thing is, we've gone away from hardware-based instruments where everything is self-contained into the thing, into sort of your machine tractor paradigm where you've got 
these fancy controllers that interact in very deep ways with very specific pieces of software. And now we're going back to putting those, those pieces of software back into the instrument and running them under the same operating system that would have been running in the computer a second ago in the analogy. So it's just all very interesting to me, but none of it's terribly surprising. I guess not. I mean, I suppose the thing is, it's like a kind of a second attempt, isn't it? Because um, the, the Open Lab stuff, like, like uh, was being spent in the chat room, you know, some of it was like the size of a house. And uh, it was more multi-purpose. So essentially, we ended up with... Um, with multiple operating uh, applications on it, whereas something like this, which would just presumably run the MPC version of the plugin or whatever it may be, some kind of, you know, because obviously this is all very proprietary. Um, and essentially, you know, I suppose that's what we've been getting with instruments anyway. PJ. Right. One, one, oh, could argue that you're, one could argue that you're using a jackhammer to drive a thumbtack, though. Maybe so. It depends. I think it depends. I mean, it's only an i5, and it depends on the resources available to it, I guess, and what it would need. I mean, it's, there's nothing, no harm in it having plenty of headroom, at least, anyway. Then at least it becomes, sure. you know, the, okay. hardware, <laughs> the hardware becomes less obsolete so quickly, perhaps. I don't know. PJ, does it thrill you? Well, I guess to add to what Rich and you were just discussing, if... Um, the operating system is simply there to run one piece of bespoke software, uh, then maybe the more interesting aspect of this is how will it be networkable or what will the protocol be that it can, you know, that it connects to other devices? Will it simply be MIDI or will there be some way to have these devices interconnect in more interesting ways than we've seen in the past mm. or, or more robust ways than we've seen in the past? Uh, because the Open Labs model to me, it was always an interesting one, if not, um, you know, too bespoke or too cumbersome to, to be a value to me personally. But, but it looked like a great idea to have, you know, essentially a controller and a, and a PC all in one situation. So this, this situation, like uh, Rich said, I think has been a long time coming. I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. And it'll be just interesting to see the way in which these devices communicate. Well, I think one interesting thing about this is obviously uh, op um, Microsoft have also been pushing the concept of embedding core MIDI and, you know, whatever, and maybe RTP MIDI, or I don't know, stuff into the Windows at an OS layer as well for, for, for further iteration. So that will become much more of an integrated thing. Um, Dave, do you find this interesting at all? Because, I mean, obviously, as a software developer, it'd be great if you could just bung it on a generic piece of piece of hardware wouldn't it surely uh, you uh, or is it just a yet another port that you don't want to have to do uh no it should be relatively straightforward i think it's quite interesting like everybody said you know it's been a long time coming i use the open labs thing uh in fact we supplied some stuff for open labs uh, and it was really good but it was very very cumbersome and it was early touchscreen technology wasn't it very early so yeah, and I think it was, wasn't it XP-based? It I would have been, it. I would think, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it would be really interesting yeah. to see how this develops. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's the, the one thing that is clear is, you know, I mean, okay, Microsoft aren't really known for their music applications and, that you know, the, the support of the creative side. You know, it's, it's much more traditionally come from a sort of office, commerce, business, you know, generally speaking, even though obviously there's lots and lots of software that runs on Windows, you know, all of the major DAWs do and what have you. So there's not, it's not so much of an issue there. It's more a question of, you know, there's been less of OS-level hooks 
you know, all these other layers have have to be written by other people that sit on top of it. And all this other stuff that may be coming in is a much more interesting notion. And I think that's perhaps something that, you know, because Apple don't do any embedded stuff. In fact, Apple are kind of going in the opposite direction by making their stuff even more difficult to uh, to kind of qualify to put on their hardware. Know, what do you think, Gaz? Uh, yeah, I've got lots of opinions on this. So I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I, I think what's excellent is that it it's going to be much better for live use you know anyone who's used laptops live know that the, the it's just not a robust just the shape of it it's just too delicate so to have nice physical you know fit for purpose uh you know like the mpc is a perfect example of that you know um when you're going into clubs and stuff you know that's a really very tempting thing and it's and presumably you'd have that with an ssd drive in there so no moving parts really rock solid um it, which makes it a very, very appealing thing. Now, I, I know More certainly expensive, from... Though, I guess, surely. It's going to add to the price, I'd imagine, but maybe they well, use flash drives instead. Yeah, I mean, SSD drives, you know, how, how big an SSD drive would you need in something like that that's mm. going to be dedicated to, say, being like an MPC? Um, obviously, the more the better, but... Um, uh, like the machine, like take for instance, machine. What the uh, the machine library? I think is around uh, six gigabytes, and then if you expand that with all the expansion packs, you might be looking at twenty, thirty gigabytes or whatever. So you know, it's not going to be an enormous expense. You can get a really decent SSD drive for around what seventy bucks or something. Now yeah. you know, like a small hundred and twenty-eight so, <clears throat> gigs, maybe. Yeah. Ah, and the difference that that makes in terms of speed, loading up samples. Ah. I mean, you know, it would be absolutely stunning thing to use. Uh, you know, a big criticism of, of like the kind of machine type thing is the fact that you have to have a computer attached to it. So this all in one, it, oh, it's beautiful. I can see it going down really well. Now that's one thing. Another thing, uh, are you saying then when you power it up, it boots straight up into the proprietary software of the device? Is that the it, idea? Well, I mean, it would have to. I can't imagine you switch your PC on and it says, please log in. <laughs> you know, do you want to right. check your email? You don't have a desktop then? I hope not. Yeah. I mean, because that would be terrible. And, it, you know, my main kind of... When people ask me about uh, iPad uh, productivity, and the main problem I've got with my iPad is the fact that it, it does go online. Now, I can press the button to make it... Uh, to make it, you know, put it into the um, aeroplane mode. Uh, but the fact is, you've got all those apps and all that distraction is just only a mere click away. So, <laughs> you know, uh, the internet is just a constant addiction and something that's just always there. And to have a device that maybe to have some of the uh, some of the functionality of being able to go online, but it not be in immediately presented in front of you i think would be quite an important thing you know yeah i know i would think so. i mean I, there's all sorts of things that could obviously with network attachment all those things there's all sorts of other issues that could happen particularly with a pattern-based instrument which has kind of got a countdown to where stuff mm. syncs up you could imagine online collaboration because you know they could have somebody running some beats somewhere else that you know that come on the bar change because you've got like yeah. you know eight seconds before it actually sort of gonna gonna actually kick in so that might be interesting i suppose but it did Sorry, oh, I was going to say I, I did. I did spot that there was an Ethernet port on. Yeah, that no, it MPC. does. It does have the uh, the the um, the version of Windows Embedded Industry 8.1 does support touchscreen Ethernet ports, USB ports, uh, and and that's going to be available by the end of this this year. Um, obviously, right. as they said, that's not the final version. But yeah, this 
it's also interesting to see that that particular NPC, it looks like it's based on an NPC renaissance, but it was in a different color scheme. It was, uh, it was, it had like a, it had like a, like a, a new touch screen, but so, so there's obviously been a lot of development going on there in that particular product. Oh, yeah, it no, I'm, I'm sure you're mm. right with that. I think the thing is also, I, I, I don't know if you remember, was it Windows ME or Windows CE, which was embeddable, and you could jettison entire modules of the OS that you didn't need, so you could, and that was their first attempt at uh, embedded stuff. And in fact, many coders kind of say it was rocket, it was awesome, it's a shame it didn't go any further, because, you know, you could just optimise Windows, you could get rid of so many little bits of the OS that you didn't need. In much the same way you can create a custom linux build i'm guessing with this sort of technology that you're going to have to be able to do stuff like that it's like i don't need a touchscreen module bang get rid of that so the footprint becomes smaller. i don't need network bang get rid of that you know so all of these things are going to be crucial to the uh, adapt the ad- adoption of this i guess i don't know dave do you remember anything to do with um windows was it me or ce i can't remember there was a it was a version wasn't there which you could modularize I think it was C. C. Uh, no, <laughs> and I don't remember very much about it at all, apart from seeing the odd uh, machine at shows and stuff like that. But they always seemed to be really underpowered, and I don't know, it didn't really do much for me. But I'm guessing with this, you know, obviously that's got a, an embedded core. I, I mean, the size of computers that we're getting these days, it's sort of it starts to throw up some interesting options. I think this is a very different kettle of fish. Uh, yeah. I've just signed an NDA with Microsoft, so there's not a lot I can really (laughs) talk about at the minute. (laughs) Or I don't know what I can and can't say. But I think what's interesting is obviously they are looking at this market and uh, as as potential for the future. Absolutely. I'm just going to go and grab PJ. He's uh, he's gone all small. He's shrunk. PJ, this won't hurt a bit. You might even find it mildly enjoyable. I'm just going to enlarge you. Okay. (laughs) Look at that. Yes, uh, sorry, I use that gag every week now. I'm terribly <laughs> sorry. I must stop it because it's just pure. It's just smutty. There's no... Video, yeah. vi- There's, video Viagra. That, there. Video Viagra. I'm liking it. Um, <laughs> okay, right. Well, um, so I suppose really, I mean, it's a fairly major topic this, but so and we, we've, uh, we've reached about halfway through. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to run, run VT. Well, that's the idea anyway. Yes, folks, it's time for a message of our, from our sponsors. This is Isotope. I want to let you know about RX3. This is the fastest, easiest way to repair and restore audio. It's perfectly suited for audio engineering recording. It does a whole bunch of things. Remove or reduce reverb from vocals, instruments, and more using D-Reverb. Clean up dialogue with the Dialogue Denauser. It's apparently the new audio stand for real-time dialogue treatment. Uh, monitor your audio and loudness using Insight, the comprehensive metering suite uh, on your DAW or NLE. Uh, turn flawed audio into pristine usable material. I mean, we all know all about it here. I mean, we've, you know, it's saved saved my bacon several times. Uh, spectral repair, you can pinpoint problems faster than ever with Spectrogram and Spectral Analyzer. Easily finesse your sound with dedicated audio enhancement modules. Lots and lots of stuff in terms of workflow and multiple documents. Currently, RX is on sale uh, until May the 1st at 249 That's 100 bucks off for, Reg- for RX3 Standard Edition. And for 74 and 749, uh, which is uh, for the advanced edition, that's down from 1199. So do check it 
out. And remember, folks, there's going to be a little competition later. Um, I'm going to mention a specific phrase uh, and tell you what you have to do uh, in order to win uh, one copy of RX3. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we've done that one. R- Rich, you've dropped this one. This was Waves Vitamin. Perhaps we'll leave that to later because I don't know if everybody's had a chance to look at that. I don't think I've got such a set out. But let's try this one. This is uh, Imitone, which I thought was Imtone, um, which uh, I'll explain why I thought that was uh, interesting later because it may not or may not be. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Robin. I will stop you there. But that's uh, basically, it's a Kickstarter product called um, Imitone. And we've seen some of these things before, but this seems to have captured the imagination of uh, the people that are interested in it. I mean, basically, um, it's it's a sort of... Post it as a sort of mind to melody, uh, and I suppose that's fair enough. I mean, we've seen some of these things before on the iPhone. If I go to the Kickstarter webpage, uh, he was hoping for 20 grand, and he's uh, unfortunately got himself 75 grand instead, um, which I don't know how that works. But but basically, the idea is it's, this is an almost fully working plugin that's, that basically takes real-time um, pitch and turns it to MIDI. And it looks like it's kind of seems to have captured the Kickstarter audience uh, fairly hugely. Uh, and I like the look of the interface. It's, you know, you know what's going on. And I don't know if you heard there, um, that was um, the demo guy. I'm sorry, I haven't, I didn't make a note of his name, who was singing uh, his cello line. And there's another demo video he does where he does the uh, Game of Thrones violin, so he tries it in production environment. So this is still not quite ready for prime time, but looks like a lot of people want to get it. Is this something, I mean... <laughs> I know we've got pitch to MIDI and Ableton, we've got things, but the, the real-time nature of this seems like quite a fascinating thing. I mean, PJ, you're a composer, you know. Is this the sort of thing... I mean, you're, you're obviously very fluent on the keyboard, so it might not be so apparent to you, but I guess you could take something and just sort of mumble or, or sing along. Would it be... Could, could you use this as a, as a creative tool, do you think? Um, yeah, I think most definitely it could be used as a creative tool. How useful it would be to me would be dependent on how often I want to sit around and practice my singing chops. <laughs> I think you, you have to maybe be, I'm, I'm certain there's probably some way to quantize pitch in, yeah. in the interface of the, uh, of the bespoke software. And if it's uh, if, if it's relatively simple to set something like that up and fairly immediate, and I could just plug it into my, my workflow pipeline, I think, think would be an interesting way to generate ideas, at least to lay down some sketches. Um, like you mentioned before, we've seen things like this. I recall maybe five, six years ago, we covered a topic like this. And I think it was it the Microsoft thing. Was it the, um, oh, I forget what yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, that's right. I've forgotten what it's called now, but yeah, very thematic. Yeah, and that seemed like it was Songsmith. more as a general purpose. You know, you've got an idea, sing it, and it converts you know, at the back end, an algorithm converts your idea into a melody. Oh, with, with, yeah, that had a cheesy backing track kind of a, uh, algorithm with yeah. it as well. So, it was, yeah, yeah. This this seems like it could be um, at least an interesting brush in a palette of brushes to maybe accomplish something that you might not 
um, any other way. Um, certainly, my preferred method to sketch things out is to sit at a piano, do that, and then go to the keyboard and 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 flesh it out. But some, some is as good as that process is for me, or as um, rewarding and immediate as it can be. Uh, I'm sure there would be times where something like this might be a more interest, at least interesting way to try to get something mm. out of. Oh, I think we're losing some video there. But uh, Rich, I, mean, I guess a similar thing for you. I mean, you know, for people who perhaps are working, you know, day in, day out in the music industry, you know, the sketching down of ideas is perhaps not always the most difficult thing or, or translating stuff from one. I, I'm guessing, I, I don't know if you noticed in the demo, the the uh, it wasn't just the pitch, it was the, the expression and the velocity seemed to be quite sensitive as well, which uh, I liked the sound of. Yes, which takes it sort of out of the sketching down ideas marketing paradigm and puts it into the idea of how it could be used more creatively. I think PJ was approaching this in his comments. And um, I thought it was very interesting, and I quite enjoyed his demo of it. And yes, it's not... Yes, we have no bananas. Yes, it's not perfect. And um, he knows that, and he tells you that. And then you go read their website, and they tell you that, and they tell you it's not perfect. But what was most revealing to me was that the video of the accordion player having it follow him. Yeah. And accordions have, by their nature, as do, um, well, just as an attacking device, has a softer attack to it. And you could hear the thing really lagging behind the accordion a lot. Yeah, there's a and video I, here. Yeah, to, that's right. To the point where it would be distracting to me, I think, if I were singing and it was that far behind me. And I think they probably know that and they're working to correct it. So the more immediate and real time they can make this pitch conversion process, the more effective this tool will be. But right now, I don't think it's close enough. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, okay, well, that's fair enough. I know, Gas, you look, you look like you're chewing on that as well. Well, I think, you know, we've seen this in uh, various iOS apps, including Thumb Jam uh, springs oh, that's to true, mind yes. straight away. That, and, was, that, was, that, that was good, but latent, wasn't it? No. Oh. Not latent. <laughs> no. It's very, very quick. And if you set up a, uh, um, what's, what's it called? The, Net, uh, network MIDI, uh, right. You take the MIDI out. Yeah, we, did, we actually uh, did but, a demo, didn't when we? You, yeah. Ad hoc. When you create an ad hoc network and you get your kind of iPhone or iPad in your ad hoc network to your computer, you can get incredibly fast incredibly fast response like um milliseconds um now so and that and that works really well and you know you hold your phone and you can just sing into it or whatever or if you've got um a wired headset attached to it you know and you can have the phone in your pocket you're essentially wireless and you can walk you can walk around your studio you're not having to do it in front of your laptop's microphone and you, you know you're you, you've got like a, a a wireless version now the reason why i mention this is um i've got this technology i've had it for a few years initially i was excited about it how much have i actually used it hardly anything and i think the reason for that is that as fun as it is it it isn't quite as useful as well, I mean, this is for me personally, but it's not quite as useful in practice as I thought it was going to be. Uh, and I will just re resort to going to the computer or to the 16 pads or whatever it is for ideas. Um, 
okay i mean this is going to be a, a, a personal <laughs> a personal opinion but um uh, i don't know it i think possibly you feel even self-conscious doing it and even self-conscious <laughs> so on as your, long as on, nobody around <laughs> on your yeah but even on your own it sort of it just, <laughs> you know is it like making a war face <laughs> A little bit, yeah. And certainly, certainly, if people are in earshot, it's not particularly comfortable to to do. Um, and but it's interesting when you use those uh, pitch uh, quantity, um, pitch quantizing scales and stuff, and you can do some pretty kind of fun things. But um, yeah, ah, uh, so I'm. I saw that. I was a little bit, well, oh, I was a bit ho-hum, but I think the interface is lovely. Mm. And I suppose I haven't seen anyone do such a nice, um, such a nice kind of easy to to use uh, piece of software doing that. So maybe that's the could, answer. Yeah. Uh, I know, Dave. Uh, it reminded me a bit of Songs in the Key of Life, the cover. Uh, well, one of those Stevie Wonders one with the sort of rainbowy thing. I'm thinking something like this would be good if you had MIDI note velocity and filter, so you could you could do that and control analog synthesis and open and articulate. That would be kind of quite. That might be quite interesting. Or is it just me? Uh, no, <laughs> but I think I think what you'll probably see is things like this hook up with stuff like Leap Motion, and then you're going to get gesture and voice controlled stuff. I mean, for me, I don't know. It doesn't. Uh, I was looking at the other one that we looked at, which was that digital ear thing. And for me, where this wins is interface. It's just it's beautiful and simple. It looks, uh, it's just easy to use. Whereas that uh, digital ear one that we talked about years ago, you had to set a harmonic threshold and there was all sorts of stuff. Oh, lordy. So there's the trick. The trick is just making it as simple to use as possible. But I wonder how it would deal with things like glissandos. I was listening quite intently to that. Uh, and I didn't really hear too much. I guess the problem is with all of that stuff is, um, you know, you've got to set it so that it, it doesn't, if you're off the mark, it doesn't kind of let you down. But if you want to kind of slide somewhere else, it's got to pick it up fast enough to capture your intent, which is going to be always something that... Of course, the, the other major problem is some of us have got a vocal range of about four semitones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's that I mean, too. If you were Sade, for example, trying to use it, <laughs> you're a bit screwed, aren't you? Rappers, perhaps, <laughs> yeah. Although there was so interesting in the... Um, uh, in the uh, I'll see if I can get it going, actually. Cause in the... Um, yeah, in the accordion one, let's play this. It picks up his voice and he's laughing and it tracks it as well. Let's see if this works. Let's see if... Yeah, you can hear delay there. Then he starts laughing. Go on then. Yeah, that was the most interesting part of that. Was it trying to it trying to pitch his? Oh, hold on. I don't, it doesn't work like that, does it? I'm gonna. There we go. But I mean, in terms of accuracy, that's pretty. Uh, yeah. But there's a bunch of delay there. But again, you know, these things obviously need to be optimised. But the, it's like pitch to MIDI. There's going to be delay, isn't there? You know, even if you've got a MIDI bass, you've got as you found, uh, uh, Gaz. You know, you've got a you up the octave, and then um, 
drop the you know and post process and then you get the notes well it's only really in the bottom octave on a bass guitar so you're not going to be singing down there i don't think um so i think that the vocal range i think is going to be pretty quick to track i would have thought maybe the lowest notes possibly but um, right. maybe it's not just that then <laughs> Okay, and now, actually, I think this is probably a good time. I think I will now uh, present the uh, isotope competition. Now, I'm going to say this phrase. The phrase is spectral repair. So what you actually have to do to win your copy, uh, you've got to hashtag spectral repair. This is the Twitter-only competition for the time being. Uh, Hashtag spectral repair and at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. And it will show up in my uh, stream of stuff on Twitter. And the first person that I see in terms of timestamp to to do both of all of those things will qualify to win. So that's it. Very simple. Good luck, everybody. Right. Um... There was the well. I mean, more. I I think I'd like to go to the drum machine actually, just purely because um, I love the sound of this thing. This is uh, Doctor Bohm Digital Drums, and funnily enough, um, this is what I, I've got a set of samples from this, which I use all the time. It's not as loud as I thought it was going to be. Ah. Oh. This is uh, billed as the uh, German Lindrum. And I've tried to find everywhere online a price. I don't know how many they made, but there certainly aren't enough to ever have been on the beat on eBay. I just, and now I, I absolutely want one, even though I don't like drum machines very much. I just love the look of that thing. It's got a, like a cross between a typewriter and some kind of uh, computer interface from the 1970s which I suppose is exactly what it is. But it got me thinking, really, more. It's less about this particular drum machine, but more about, you know, drum machines I have loved. You can't mention the 808, I'm afraid, because everybody talk, everybody says and the 808's had plenty of love. So I'm looking for something a little more obscure. But, I, I, Dave, have you, are you familiar with the Dr. Bohm? It sounds like one of those shops that they have in, uh, in Frankfurt. Yeah, Dr. Bohm. there is a drum layout, isn't there? So it's Dr. Boom. Dr. Boom. Um, like Dr. Müller's. Yeah. There you go. Dr. Müller's Emporium. That. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I've had so I've had samples from it. Uh, no, I have no direct experience of it. It looks quite funky. There are uh, there are there is a good set of samples from it. It's that uh, XL drums uh, thing that you used to get on Akai, uh, which I've. I, I had it years and years ago, and it's just got every and it, it's got every single drum machine, and that one and the Kawai K. Kawai R50 or R100, both of those two machines have really, really good sample sets for that sort of thing, if you're interested, and especially when you mess them up all over some of my uh, finer works, some might say, <laughs> or maybe not so finer works. Rich, did you have, did, I mean, you, you got into Synclavia pretty early, didn't you? So did, drum, did the Lindrum kind of come past, come across your board? Were you there prodding away? The Lindrum and the Memory Mug were my best friends in 1983, along with my Dr. Click. That's a that's great company you keep there. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, actually, we had, uh, <laughs> dare I say it, two Lindrums Woo! running simultaneously with different chipsets. Get you. Because wow. you could, you could prom them, couldn't you? And I think the Dr. Yes. Dr. Bone was an uh, EEPROM-based thing, but I don't know whether there was an EEPROM blower for that as well. You could do the same for... There was a sequential circuits drum tracks which you could blow proms for as well. 
Um, <laughs> any any favourite? Any particular favourite drum machine that uh, would would that qualify, or is uh, are you glad those days are gone? Or do you still reach for certain <laughs> drum machine samples that you're actually using there, Rich? So. I've done all of the above, but I don't tend to operate drum machines very often these days unless it's machine. But, um, but I have used Lin samples actually not that long ago um, on occasion where they're called for. In this case, it was to duplicate something that had been done years ago, and I was asked to break it out, and I used the same sounds that had been printed knowing that they may later subsequently be replaced. But I have had cause to use old Lin sounds, old Roland sounds. People use these things all the time. Sometimes they don't even know what they are, but yeah. yes. Absolutely. And uh, I was hip in DMX world as well, uh, Oberheim's whole system. And yes, I was along for the ride for all of this and was there at its you know, birth. So that's why my initial view of it, th this thing came as a topic with practically no information. And I was shocked just now to discover that this is actually a current product. No, like, I thought this was some sort of nostalgia piece that we found a guy who had one and listened to that, doesn't it sound great? Um, are you sure about that? Current pro I couldn't find any information about it either. Old. I think it is old. I don't oh, think is it? it? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know yeah. what it is. I just, I have no information about it. I, <laughs> I, I, could, I, I think I, I found the same thing. I couldn't find any information about what you could pay for, pay it for it secondhand. There were a couple of different models from Dr. Bohm and they were from around, uh, I guess, the mid to late 80s. I don't oh, know if okay, they still, good. I don't know if they do still exist. As so you mean they're not Windows based? No. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that would be using a sledgehammer to crack a, uh, to, for attack, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean as opposed to what they're doing over there? Never mind. <laughs> well, yes, both. But still, great drum machines I've loved. PJ, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you're, you're a drum machine user or have been in the past. Your dirty secret. Oh, yeah. My love of drum machines goes back to the very first one which I owned was the Roland TR-505. Ah, uh. And then beyond that uh, would be the Alesis HR-16, and then several since then. Uh, currently, like Rich mentioned, I use mostly for beat creation, am amongst other things, Machine. Uh, and my favorite collection of drum samples is the stuff made by Hugo Titchborn, Gold Baby. He goes under the name of Gold Baby. And he has done a impeccable job of archiving most drum machines th that uh, have existed at one time or another on the planet. So uh, I highly recommend his work. It's eminently reasonably priced and uh, use it all the time when I need drum machine sounds. Another great collection is uh, Ian Body did a collection maybe five, six years ago of drum sounds made uh, purely from modular synthesizers and uh those are really great if you want something obscure nice yeah so uh drum machines are fantastic uh i almost pulled the trigger on buying a tempest but then thought uh it's a bit out of the price range for how often i would probably use it but i do have sitting on my dresser at home a roland mc909 which occasionally i pull out and use and i i love that uh, i love that machine is that one of the things that you just know inside out as well i do yeah i think that really uh, helps as well that muscle memory can help you create faster can't it i guess it it does and and like we brought up before with the akai and and other systems of that ilk 
Uh, it's self-contained. Uh, you know exactly what it can do. The, and the great thing about the 909, like the Akai, you can load in your own samples as well as what's on board, which is not bad, um, you know, in terms of Roland's offerings. Their their sample set on board is, is, is decent for sketching things out. And, of course, it has MIDI both ways and drag and drop via USB, even though it's uh, very, very early days for that that technology as that machine is uh, uh, circa 2001 or 2002, but it's uh, it's a great machine that I picked up uh, not too long ago, two years ago on eBay, because I was um, uh, regretting having sold my MC505, um, and the 909 is just a, a, a different beast entirely, uh, which adds a, an entirely new dimension to that interface, and I, I love that way of working. So when I have the opportunity to do so, I gleefully uh, engage. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Gaz, what about you? I mean, you're very much sort of live kind of geezer, but you, I mean, you, you, you must be, you're a pattern guy as well, because I know you, uh, hmm. you know, obviously, um, you used to use uh, MC stuff as well, didn't you? Uh, I had a, a TR606. A TR. Right. Yeah, which I was, I loved, and, you know, I've talked about that before, I miss. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like Rich and PJ, the the machine tends to be the thing that I use now. And uh, in fact, Machine Two has got these drum synthesizers, um, which sound fantastic. They sound fantastic, and they give you just such a wide array of sounds that that takes some beating. But uh, recent other stuff using the uh, analog keys, the drum sounds on that sound brilliant. And uh, and my current favourite is uh, the Tokyo module in Korg's gadget on the iPad. I just I love it. I think it sounds fantastic, and uh, that's got loads of potential. Uh, it's so easy to use, and it's very, very, very nice sounding. Um, but old gear. I actually, since PJ just said about the 909, I'm just looking at one up on my computer screen here and thinking, "Cool." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've kind of. I remember when it came out, I just thought, "Wow!" But now they're kind of pretty affordable, and it. Does look pretty groovy. What uh, what sample? What how how much sample space is in them? Uh, in, the or how, how... Have, in the one that I have, it's two hundred and fifty six megabytes. Okay, that's wow. a lot of that's a lot of drum sounds. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Um, uh, Rich was uh, giving some love to the uh, Alesis HR sixteens as well because there was the A and the B, wasn't there? And they were they were uh, uh, the the first kind of affordable digital because they had that sound that um everybody the sort of piccolo snare <laughs> that everybody was using at the time i know dave did you find that you were being replaced by hr16s back in the day when you were drumming no but i did used to play along with a drum emulator do you remember those oh yeah which was the emu thing uh do you want to i've got a good story about synclabs and drum samples if you want okay which is, uh, it kind of relates to Rich Hilton. So when I was at, uh, used to do stuff at Martin Russell's place here, and of course he was like Mr. Tech, had the Synclav, had the Fairlight as a doorstop after he bought the Synclav, or I think he'd leased it. And they had about 500 drum sounds on the Synclav, so whenever a band came in, it was like, and you know what it was like in the 80s, it was just like, so next drum sound, next one, and after you'd done like 20, you'd just forgotten what the first ones were. But he had sampled the Bowie Let's Dance snare. Ah, uh, everybody which was did. Really legendary, and he'd used it on a load of records. And that was the kind of key one. That was the one he really loved. So you'd always get, after the band had 
kind of got really bored of listening to snare sounds for half a day at probably a cost of 800 quid. <laughs> the Crawley Bumlick engineer would always put his head around the corner and go, uh, Martin, uh, what about the Bowie snare? And of course the band would go, oh, Bowie, oh, let's hear that. And of course you scroll through, scrape through, go, oh, yeah, we'll have that. So one day, I think it was The Cure, I'll probably get into trouble for this, but The Cure were there and uh, they were going through all the drum samples and stuff. The same thing, exactly the same process happened, you know, I lost interest. What about the Bowie snare? Oh, good idea, Bowie snare, bang. Bowie snare, oh yeah, we'll have that. Well, the engineer at the time really hated the whole Synclav scene and wanted real drums. So basically he called one of The Cure people to one side and said... uh, why do you have that snare? You know, everybody has that snare. He makes everyone have it, which, of course, immediately is like, oh, we don't want that snare. <laughs> so Matey Boy from The Cure goes straight to Martin Rushant and says, look, uh, the engineer who will remain nameless uh, just said that, you know, like everybody uses that snare. So then cue another half day or, you know, the whole of the afternoon and early evening was then spent trying to find another snare. We go to the pub that night and Martin, deci- uh, Martin Rushant decides then to sack said engineer for uh, interfering with the process because frankly the band didn't need to know that everybody else had that snare (laughs) (laughs) by which time he'd run up about you know 1200 quid in uh, on the day rate it was just brilliant and i think the engineer got on so well with uh it was robert smith from the cure that smith said uh, well actually if he's sacked we'll probably go somewhere else so he's immediately reinstated on double money nice (laughs) all down to the snare that's a great story dave Nice one. You must have been there, Rich, auditioning drums, I mean, bass drums. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what it was for, wasn't it, at the time for many people anyway, that kind of technology. I, yeah, but I, as Dave originally pointed out, by the time you've hit snare drum 20, you don't remember the first five. But the best part of the story is I, too, once got an engineer rehired at an at a increased salary <laughs> as a client. They were going to fire our assistant, and we went to them and said, not only aren't you going to fire him, but you're going to give him a raise. Hey, excellent. <laughs> Why was he going to be fired, if that's not too indelicate a question? I, don't, I honestly don't remember. I yeah. don't think it had anything to do with us, and we didn't care. He had been with us for months in this studio. He had our complete thing down, and we did not want to start from zero with a new guy at that point in the process. No, sure. And uh, he wasn't getting paid enough. Excellent. Well, maybe he was going to leave. And the studio certainly was. No, he wasn't going anywhere. He was having a good time. So, okay. uh, so we actually got him rehired at a, at a raise at an increased salary. Nobody ever did that for me. <laughs> <laughs> I did rehired at half the rate, maybe, but. Um... Uh, yes. Well, excellent. Thank you for those uh, tales of drum samples and drums. Um, uh, that was the, uh, that one, BT, getting a, um, uh, Dr. Balm, who do, um, what do we want next? There's a uh, V, gosh, it's five o'clock already. VCS emulations or, um, uh, waves vitamin or, um, BT getting animated about leap motion because, uh, Leap Motion has actually not, <coughs> excuse me, has not actually kind of quite ever uh, taken off. And there's some uh, interesting aspects to this. Or we could just call it a day. I don't know. I, actually, PJ, have you, have you yeah. explored the Leap Motion at all? Have you, is that something that's been on your radar? Um, yeah, I looked at the link that you sent and I dug a little deeper 
um, maybe not deep, deeply enough. Uh, what, what I don't understand about leap motion exactly is what it is specifically that BT's doing with it or that he intends other musicians to do with it. I mean, I understand the general concept of what it is, and it seems to be sold as an all-purpose controller for games, uh, for visual anim animation manipulation, visual sculpting and sketching, and then the music applications. And there seem to be some bespoke apps that are being sold to run alongside it so that you're able to to use it in in these regards that's exactly but, it that's what he's done he's created a, uh, uh, an app called muse um for that very purpose uh, with uh, uh, okay so is it the muse app that he's using in the demonstration where he's he seems to be using the gestural control to to i don't know is it is it to to launch sound clips in ableton live or is he actually making music real time because the stuff that he was generating at least the backing track on the video that you sent sounded like the kind of thing that he's doing recently in general so that's that's why i'm wondering if uh if he's just triggering you know pre-composed chunks of music or is he literally playing that controller as an instrument that's a good question i actually have a lead motion yeah there the muse software itself uh is available now 799 <laughs> um but yeah you can have in the boxes uh, that go across the screen that you can kind of interact with exhibit they can a be, there we go oh. so they can be chords they can be uh you know they can you can trigger drones it, essentially each of those boxes can have or circles <laughs> yeah can have a bunch of different parameters on them and uh yeah, and you can you can interact. They can do. They can you know you can press them in. You can do different things, and it seems quite good. Uh, I've got the leap motion here. Um, are these are these C sound generated sounds then, or are they or are they pre-composed samples, or do you have any control over what these sounds are and the parameters of these sounds in in general before you start controlling controlling them with the leap motion, or are they fixed? you know, fi a fixed sound set that, that you're relegated to operating within. Um, I think actually haven't really gone too deep with it. There is a lot of, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that comes with it. I think, I'm not sure if it does output it. I think you might be stuck with it actually. Um, well, there are other, I mean, there's the gecko thing, which you can use to control, uh, several yeah, sorts of controllers. So you get that aspect, which is, that's the well, Git Bivin app that does allow you to interact with, with MIDI devices, generally speaking. Yeah, but that doesn't right. trigger notes. Gecko doesn't trigger notes at all. Gecko ah, it's is just control, just, isn't it? Controllers, right. yeah. Whereas this is actually, you know, triggering notes, triggering, you know, arpeggios, triggering sequences, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and you can kind of interact with it. One thing I have to say about the Leap Motion, though, is that you do need a pretty powerful machine to run it. I noticed that I've got an i5 here and I've got an i7 uh, machine uh, machines, and there is a massive difference. And also, the big thing I've noticed is the Leap Motion is a bandwidth hog. You wouldn't have as oh, yeah. few things on your USB uh, bus. Well, you wouldn't have nothing on the USB bus if you can, except the, the the Leap Motion. There is an enormous difference between the sensitivity 
as soon as you start having a few other USB things on the same USB bus, the 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 kind of interaction does get significantly reduced. Yeah, all of mm. these. I, I I can't help but think some of these things are kind of problems looking for solutions looking for a problem. Um, you know, in many Can ways. Can I ask one one yeah. more question? Um, so. Given all of that, I guess really what I'm trying to get down to is with this Muse software and the Leap Motion, are you able to create original sounding music or is most of what you create going to sound like it's in the same wheelhouse as everybody else that owns a Leap Motion in the Muse software <laughs> given the strengths? Let's have a look. Yeah, good point. Hold on, we can choose from three sound sets, each with unique chords, drones, and drums. So yeah, that looks like it is uh, transparent. I guess the thing is, record and save your all options. What you really want is uh, to be able to, because the, the the in the video which we haven't played, but you can always check it out. Um, uh, I think the the composer that that uh, BT's working with Boulanger, I think his name was, was saying, look, it's great because I can put all of my phrasing and stuff in here and then move it around. So I guess if you're creating the sound set, then that makes a lot of sense. And PJ, that might work certainly from a composition point of view. Uh, because quite often, you know, you create your palette of sounds for a movie or a project, and you could maybe gesturally interpret those to picture with some, with just a completely different set of, you know, parameters. That might be very interesting. That would be amazing. Mm. That would be amazing if that was possible. Yeah, I, th that's exciting to me. You know, moving in moving in that direction. But if if really all you have is kind of a glorified, you know, sandbox that's that's relatively limited in terms of its sound palette and what you're able to do with it with the control device, then it seems mm -hmm. to me like it might be a bit of a waste of time in terms of, you know, trying to generate original sounding music or something that, you know, you could point to that and say, uh, you know, I, I composed that or I created the palette or this is unique to yeah. me rather than it sort of being an extension of the environment that that is being thrust on you in terms of the leap motion. Yeah, I see what you're so, saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I contacted Geert Bevin, uh, the creator of um, Gecko, to, to, to query why you couldn't send out MIDI note information because I wanted to create a, uh, you know, I wanted to create like, like an Uber theremin that, that had multiple, um, uh, you know, over, over MIDI, you know, and to sort of uh, operate something like uh, Omnisphere or something similar uh, and have lots and lots of parameter controls. I thought that sounded extremely exciting. But um, he said, he, he wrote back to me to say that um, he said, it's on, uh, this is, I'm just quoting him now, it's on purpose that Gecko doesn't send out MIDI notes since MIDI does, really doesn't suit itself for theremin-like playing. You have distinct notes from which there are pitch bend amounts that don't have fixed note distances. Mm. So this requires the user to both calibrate on sending and the receiving end just to make the distance between the notes bend correctly. He said there's another problem af uh, uh, after that in note retriggering of most software synths as soon as you switch to other note the beginning of the envelopes play meaning that you have to start from one note and work with large pitch bend distances uh, reducing the resolution a lot right. uh, and, and he's saying finally those last pitch bend distances are not the same on all synths some accept 12 semitones others 24 blah 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 so he says in short it's a real mess coming from midi um but he he is saying though that there is some development within the leap motion that's going to improve. Uh, uh, what's he saying? Uh, 
uh, they're, they're working on supporting finger touches and he thinks right. that once that's supported oh, that work, then yeah. Yeah, I think the thing because I reviewed the Leap Motion and uh, and I enjoyed it. It was great for sort of filtery stuff, but I sort of couldn't help but think, you know, if you're performing, it'd be great to be able to come in bang and sort of trigger a chord over here and one over here, so you could actually hit musical sort of points. And they might be, you know, whether they're percussive notes or just things that float in and out. But that would so rather than affecting the pitch, you could just kind of go right here. I want you know, that note to be triggered out to whatever it is, and that could be a stack of notes or whatever it may be. Because you, you can do that with the um, Keith McMillan stuff. You can hit a pad and you can stack, I, I think on the soft step, uh, you could stack up to f six note events. So you can pray, kind of hit trigger chords and what have you. And that, that sort of thing is is quite useful in terms of performance. You know, obviously, if you're programming it up for a specific use where it has to play specific notes, not so much perhaps in the... Um, uh, in the improvisational kind of area, I don't know. Dave, are you uh, you got a fancy a leap motion? You wave your hands in the air and make stuff happen, or does that? I don't know. I don't know. You always look like a tit in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the sort. Of, that's the problem I deal with. I find it hard enough, you know, standing behind a keyboard, <laughs> not making a synth face, plonking away, yeah, and kind of gurning away, and then all of a sudden you got. You're doing this, and all you're doing is kind of going, bing, bong, bing, 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 bing. Yeah, it's a, it's a oh, bit Jean-Michel Jarre laser harp, I suppose, isn't it? That's the that's the problem I, you've got with uh, anything like that. I recommend learning to play an instrument. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think Rich is with you there. I don't know. I, I, I think it'd be, it'll be interesting, actually, because, um, you know, the whole gesture and touch thing, you know, it, but it seems, you know, there are lots and lots of people looking for something else, another way to interact with musical instruments and happenings, you know, so there is a desire for it. We, we, there's enough of us who want it to happen, but we just don't seem to be able to find the right thing. I mean, obviously, there's the image in Heap Gloves, which uh, we were going to have as a topic, but that's probably not going to be much time today. But again, you know, that's that sort of, it's all a bit, you know. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's, there's a great cartoon, uh, it's a Tom and Jerry one, where um, you've got the megalomaniac com conductor, and he's kind of, trying to kind of eke all this music and it's uh, yeah it just sort of reminds me of that a bit i don't know i'd like to see yeah. somebody do something really brilliant with it that's what i'd love to see right Sorry, me and, then too. I, and then i and then i'll probably go oh that's cool oh maybe i could do that and but it's kind of i've noticed this recently everyone's kind of telling you about stuff no one actually shows you how brilliant mm. something can be everyone tells you oh it's going to be awesome and it's going to be this and actually most of it seems to be kind of based on existing technology that was never brilliant in the first place so i don't know maybe i've just got my cynical head on today but i'd like to see somebody <laughs> do something great yes i think that's yeah. it i think you're right i agree i, mean, I uh, agree totally yeah the in that in that video earlier on the kickstarter with the vocal thing the girl who's doing the demonstration at the beginning i was just thinking this is the it's a really rubbish piece of music it's a really rubbish <laughs> yeah. uninspiring well, and it's got piece that. of music with that and you could just yeah. play one finger melody, the simplest tune that anyone could figure out. I'm thinking, you know, come on, let's see some virtuosos. Let's be blown away by this, not just think, wow, it's a backward step. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I would agree with that. And I think um, the, uh, you know, also it says that thing, you don't need to have any musical ability. It's like, well, actually, screw that. I think you should, you know for it to have any validity unless you're just going to be a lucky monkey just typing until something good comes out i think you know it's nice to consider that some 
that does have some validity somewhere along the line. But, uh, yeah, I think we, we seem to have lost PJ. Um, I'm going to okay. try and get him back for the goodbye. Uh, can, I, can I say something here yes, about this topic? Um, first of all, I agree wholeheartedly with Dave's assessment that I'm really looking forward to seeing people do interesting things with, as Gaz points out, some degree of virtuosity with these kinds of motion control. That said, I feel like with each advance in this direction of technology towards controllerism, we're getting further and further away from the vibration itself. And one of the glorious things about singing or playing the guitar or playing an instrument like a horn is that you are either touching or creating the vibration. And with each of these things, you're getting farther and farther away from the vibration. You're not even touching the vibration at that point. And that, to me, is significant because on a personal level, that's what interests me, is my relationship with that vibration. Oh, I think that's fair it's enough. So, it's such a brilliant quote, actually. I've, I've dined out. You said something ages ago, Rich, about, I think I was saying, like, uh, I was, when I was really, I think it was like what inspired us when we were really young, and I was, it was like this uh, school singing competition thing where lo loads of schools got together. And I remember just being kind of profoundly moved by it. And then when you said, uh, I think we discussed it years ago, and you said it's to do with people breathing in unison. And actually, I've yes. quoted that so many times, and everybody <laughs> else suddenly goes, yes, because it's all about the vibration. And when you get those kind of sympathetic resonances or breathing, it moves on to another level. And that's what inspires me. So an instrument that moves air or something that is a, a, a shared airspace seems to... Okay, well, that's, I think Well, that's, at that point, the speaker becomes your instrument because it's yeah. moving the air. It is creating the vibration. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. Uh, but it does rather... Uh, I, I suppose it's just where the air is moved. Uh, I mean, you know, as with lots of touch devices and, and what have you, there is a way of... Um, you know, creating as, as you know, uh, me and Gaz looked at uh, well, Gaz looked at Cool Gadget. You know, and that is a really interesting and enjoyable creative environment to work within, within a very closed and essentially, you know, what is a sort of inanimate environment because it's just a touchscreen. You know, but yeah, you know, there are ways of implying that vibe in that world somehow. Well, yeah, and as Dave says, I'm waiting to be blown away by somebody on one of these systems because I think we will be. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're right. Wow, well, I think um, that probably brings us kind of pretty neatly to the end of proceedings today. I want to say thank you very much to everybody for, for joining us. Uh, thanks for those in the chat room. Thanks. Uh, We've uh, got a, a good, decent amount of people in the chat room, and um, I can see the technology's held up, so fantastic. So I want to say thank you to all of my guests. We'll start with PJ, because we just lost him briefly there. We uh, some sort of Wi-Fi issue. But PJ, it's been a real treat to have you aboard. It's great to see you again, and I do hope we can count on your presence at at some point again in the not too distant future. Oh, most definitely, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, mm -hmm. this is something that I've missed terribly. I can't believe that uh, over an hour has just flown by. Uh, this kind of uh, nerdy, techie conversation is something that I don't get to engage in very often, and with <laughs> such uh, illustrious company. So oh, thank you so kind. much. You're very welcome, PJ. Great to have you. If you want to see what PJ's up to, uh, Trace Media, Media Group. There you go. There's a URL down there. I hope I've got the right one there. You keep changing your website, so I have to sort of track you down. 
Uh, PJ Tracy music will get you there as well. All right. Okay. That's, well, that's great. Yeah, it, it all points, points to the yeah. same direction. But anyway, thank it you does. very much, PJ. Great to have you aboard, and congratulations on your uh, your recent salubrious publicity. That's great. Thank you very much. And we thank also you. go Rich Hilton over there, um, Mr. Hirsute, non-Hirsute Hilton, haircut Hilton, as we say. Uh, you're looking very <laughs> dapper, and uh, I'm sure now the time, the t- I appreciate you coming in because I'm sure the time difference is kind of screwing with your working day, so I appreciate you taking the time. No, is it? Are we back in the, in the same pocket because we've changed hours now as well, so it's not so bad. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And thank, all good. Thank you very much, Rich. Much appreciated, all, as ever. Thank always you, guys. It's always work. great. And welcome back, PJ. We love having you, man. Uh, yeah, really uh, good thanks. to see you. Thanks, Rich. And Dave Spears there also in uh, his synth cave. Um, thank Which you very much. synth t-shirt on? No, you can, ne- <laughs> ah, you can never have. Beauty. Excellent. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, we're going to start doing some merchandising. I think we're going to try and see if there's a way that we can just make a shop so you know we can upload some logos and people can buy t-shirts uh, yeah. and, you know, what have you, just so that they can fly the flag. Um, that's what we're hoping to do is just on the Sonic list of things. Sonic State Underpants, Nick. You think? Yeah, I'm not sure that there are many um, merchandising sort of places that do drop, you know, that do that that offer pants. But if they, if somebody has a suggestion, I'd be quite happy. I could just see the <laughs> roundel, maybe front or back. What do you think? Yeah, on the back. Or maybe maybe uh, brassieres with kind of you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway guys thank you as ever for joining us too uh appreciate everybody being here and thanks uh, yep. thanks again there's a new sonic touch out as well isn't there absolutely yes there is a sonic touch out the sonic touch is was out yesterday or was it monday gosh i can't remember yesterday i think uh yes that's right uh featuring tim webb from discord he came and uh, joined us uh, over the wires much as in the way that we we communicate here uh, so you want to check that out. that's got uh, final touch and a bit of audio bus action as well so and uh what's the other thing audio share from climatica so if you want to check that out please do and remember subscribe uh, i i can't say yeah. it enough times i'm gonna i'm on a subscription because i what what i want is one of those youtube plaques that you get when you reach a hundred thousand subscribers i want that on the wall over here to go with all of my fake um, uh, silver disc, which I'm going to start collecting as well, pretending that they're mine. But the YouTube one would be great. But anyway, so you can subscribe on YouTube. The subscription thing is up. Th- is it up there? It's up there or up there. And on Sonic, I've put the button on there. So please do subscribe if you haven't, you know, because we not only do Sonic Touch, we've got lots of other content as well. And Sonic Talk. That's right, Rich. Like that. That's it. Something like yeah. That looks actually no. That's that's approaching the close, very approach close the sign for the deaf language for um, BS, which I think is uh, that. So yeah, that's not obviously what we mean. But anyway, yes, please do. And once again, uh, thank you very much to our show sponsors. We have actually got a winner. The first person to tweet in was uh, Native VS at precisely. I can probably tell you there. Uh, 4.43 p.m. Uh, and closely followed by uh, I am the Mr. Big Band, but Native VS got it. So I'll be contacting you and you will have won your copy of Isotope RX3. So once again, Hi. thanks very much. Right, and um, I'm going to... Let me see. I think I've got PJ's um, thing here. I wonder if I can play out with your tune. Would that be acceptable? Uh, from from Time yeah. Magazine. This is the... Uh, it's called 1970s Ski Sunday kind of idea, wasn't it? Yeah, was that the, the brief, uh, 1970s the, the era brief, sports game? Yeah, it was a 1970s era sports racing game based on the Winter Olympics. And uh, slightly campy. Um, and my take on it was sort of funky, mix, mixing up uh, 
different different uh, references like uh, the Electric Company theme song, the um, game show themes from the 1970s, mixed with a little bit of Funkadelic and James Brown. Nice. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to switch <laughs> to the uh, your your page on ta- see on Time Magazine right there, and uh, let's see if I press play. Yeah, we can turn that up. I can get that even louder. Thank you very much. You seem to get louder when I talk, which is not what I anticipated. Thank you very much. 